guys, welcome once again to another Professional Goblins podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott, and with me, as always, is... Mike Myler. And uh, yeah. joining us today, Rob, you want to introduce yourself? Robert Brooks from Encounter Table Publishing. So yeah, we got a pretty awesome show. We had a really full show today, I'll tell you that right now. Um, so yeah, let's just kind of jump into it today. Um, Robert, I don't know if you've watched this show before, um, but we do not do the reviews ourselves. We don't. Okay. No. We, would we, we would never, yeah, we would never do that. <laughs> you know, people working in the industry, we could never honestly and fairly review a product. So clearly, we are, all products are reviewed by... Oh, God. Cool Shredder. Embat, bro. Of course. Yeah, I mean, that yes. makes perfect sense. Uh, today we are reviewing a product from last week's guest, uh, Adam Mayer, who's on the show from Drop Dead Studios, and he gave us Vigilantes of Skyborne. <sighs> Do you want to start, or should I? Go for it, man. Okay, well, uh, there are a lot of archetypes. One is like an Iron Man light, uh, another is you get possessed by like a spirit, these are all for Vigilantes. The Sky Marine is about being a cool Sky Pirate. Uh, if anybody remembers the Trick Shot class, from the uh, fighter book in 3.0, they have one of those called the Uncanny Archer. And then a bunch of racial archetypes, uh, which I liked a lot because I wrote a lot of the races for Skyboard, uh, including the Fanquan Even Phoenix, which is really neat. Uh, the Sharuf Lava, or they're, they're all about like popping back up and exploding. Uh, the Sharuf Lava Walker, which is all about using lava, which I was a big fan of. And they're like dinosaur people, so it all fits. Uh, the Reimagined Created, which is really neat. It's a vigilante that is uh, of the race that like literally was constructed out of undead parts so you can change around what parts you have with this archetype and then um the quasage wing terrors which i really like because the quasage of this really neat uh philosophically mystical winged race and uh, original as far as those go in my opinion uh then there are class archetypes with that grant you vigilante abilities uh doors rangers alchemist fighters uh, and then prestige classes. I really like the Hellsworn prestige class, but yeah, man, uh, cool. they are not, are not fucking around, dude. 1d6 untyped energy to attacks that ramps up to 5d6 might be a little too good. Because I'm thinking like, oh, I'd play a dagger thrower and just like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like 7 5d6 plus 1d4. Um, then, uh, oh, the Shrouded Captain was really neat. That's exactly what prestige classes should be. So it's... You're a sky pirate, and part of your abilities are about protecting your crew and, you know, raising the Jolly Roger and being a sky pirate, but it was much more comprehensive, and a prestige class should should really solidify your character's role in the world, and that did a perfect job. A-plus on that prestige class. Uh, more f spheres of power rules and options for vigilantes. I think about six pages, counting the new social <laughs> talents for vigilantes. Uh, then there's uh, favorite class options, which I hate. I hate favorite class bonuses. Oh, Just man, take your on, fucking mean. skill pointer hit point and get on with your day. Um, and then there are a handful of new feats which run the gamut from wow to okay. And I will wait to give my final final tally until you, you've said your piece. All right, man. I, I share a lot of your opinions, but certain things this book didn't sit right with me. Just from a formatting perspective, that gothic font just made me want to cry. There were sometimes I could I had to go copy and paste out the, da the data. Got had to put it into Google to figure out what the hell the word was saying. So be careful when you're choosing your fonts. Sometimes pretty is really nice, and trust me, as a formatter, I know this. You go ahead and you're like, man, that's the prettiest font in the world, but no one can read it. That's a new mustache. Um, I really focused in on some of the, the social talents. I just wrote a social book. I got to say, 
I mean, sorry, Scott Gladstone did. Um, some of them were really good, but a lot of them were things that should have just been either alternate rules or even just kind of hand waved, like the one where you can make your ship a your favorite area, your area of renown didn't really sit right with me, and the one that allows you to retrain your area of renown was just like, or your, your uh, identity was just kind of like, that should have been mechanics, man. Um, but overall, I liked a lot of the classes. Some of them were short. Um, some of them were a little longer, which is, which I liked a little bit more. I really dug the prestige classes, like you said. Um, I really liked the idea of a sky pirate, and a lot of this was right in there. This book has some gorgeous artwork, by the way. Um, oh, it does. It really does. Um, something that got a little weird for me, and I'm not a big Skyborn guy, so maybe this is a thing. But there was a lot of like really high tech artwork, like some really like straight up cyberpunk stuff in there, which is cool. But I don't really know if it fit the theme that well. Um, and some of the talents got very supernatural, and I, I get why people like that. They want to play the superhero, but it felt like instead of playing like Batman, you were playing a medieval Batman. You were playing like medieval Superman. That didn't really that didn't really work for me. Um, Again, overall, I, I did like the book. I don't play enough Vigilantes to really make it a thing that I would use, but I don't know. I'll, I'll give it like a three or four out of five. All right. I come away with a different different tally, and we'll be giving it five out of five throwing knives, but no shuriken for lack of dead turtle. I guess that... that's our review this week. All right. So, so, Robert, was that what you expected when you came on today? Um, you know, it's hard to expect that, but it's also <laughs> par for course for Mike, so yes. Yes, I was. Pretty pretty, uh, pretty par for the course for him. So, Robert, before we get into too much, do you want to introduce yourself, let him, let people know who you are? Um, yeah, so... You have some pretty um, awesome credits to your name, some of my favorites, so why don't you talk about that? Yeah, um, I am Robert Brooks, as everyone has been saying. Um, I run Encounter Table Publishing. We just uh, released the Athera campaign setting, which is actually going to be going out to backers way sooner than expected. Um, awesome. And it'll be for sale soon, too. Um, I also have worked for Paizo um, pretty regularly in the past. Um, Occult Adventures, Bestiary 6, um, a million other books I probably am forgetting. Oh, uh, Ruins of Oslant. I have one of the adventure paths in that, uh, the second one coming out in September. Did you touch on uh, Ultimate Intrigue too? Oh yeah, Ultimate Intrigue, That's yeah, it. pretty much every adventure. hardcover. Yeah, every hardcover since Occult Adventures, I'm, nice. except for the Adventurer's Guide I've been on. That's it, because Occult Adventures and Ultimate Intrigue were some of my favorite uh, laser, later Paizo releases, I like those. Same too, same too. They they really like cracked open the game and gave oh, yeah. me a lot more to do with it. Definitely. So so there you guys go. That that is who you're talking to, the man, the legend. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> but we'll we'll call you that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the, as you guys know, we have a formatted show. Um, the first part, the first segment is we talk about our favorite character, either in a game that we're currently running or a game that. We've run in the past, but if we're talking about one in the past, we generally talk about a um, a lesson we learned from that character, either as, either as a GM or a player. I mean, it could be something a that you're learning playing. moment. Yeah, a learning moment. There you go. Yeah. Just a little more towards me. There we go. Ah, all right. So, um, Robert, you got something in mind, or you wanna you want Mike to go ahead and start first? Oh, I I got a I got a story that's a learning moment. Oh, okay. Um, do tell. I've I've told this one on I think Twitter once. Um, <clears throat> this is from 
back in the 3.5 D&D era in Eberron. Um, this is this is a lesson of, of learning to uh, pay attention when the GM is basically saying, please, dear God, don't do this. It's bad for you. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Eberron, but there was an artifact called the Husk of Infinite Worlds. It's basically like a big, giant meat potato. And uh, if you climb into it, you turn yourself into soup. That's, that's basically the result. I mean, there's a very small chance you'll get some kind of weird aberrant power, but for the most part, it's a blender. Um, and good. I was... I was playing a character who was like shepherding this person who was sort of like a King Arthur kind of style. He was supposed to like, you know, lead the world in the next war or whatever. And he was a, a half-blood Dalekir and the Dalekir created the, the husks. And I was convinced that the husk was meant for him when we found it. And the GM was seeding all these things like, no, 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 don't just, just leave it alone. You're, it's, you know, you'll destroy it later or something. And I was like, no, that's misleading. So I convinced him to go into it. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I can totally work this machine from the outside. Because you have to make, like, I think it was like a use magic device check or something to use it. And um, I rolled a one. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I turned the prophesized hero into pudding. Um, and then promptly walked in and did the same to myself. Because I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, so that was that was a lesson well learned. TPK. Never never turn your friends to pudding. Yeah. You, you think that would be also... on the, uh, the tin, but I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another a DM intense story too. So okay. uh, when I first joined with the group that I play in on Sunday mornings, which I've been playing with now for several years because they're they're good people, but um, I joined in while it was still the playtest for Five E, and the DM was like, "Can you make a character that like gets the party has been like working with this evil demigod, and I just can't get them to stop doing it? So could you make a character that helps convince them to stop?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure. I'll make a like a bard who's like." good-hearted and stuff and like didn't even make it halfway through the first game before they're like eh fuck that guy and uh, <laughs> he died and party. so uh, yeah yeah the party was just like ah, <laughs> if we have to choose between being good and what this dude says and the demigod over there we're gonna take the demigod because he's offering us stuff oh my uh, god yeah so hell. carlos in Firenze, uh my first dnd 5e character was live for about two hours before uh <laughs> the end came so I decided to make the character I wanted next, which was Krampus the Destroyer. Krampus was a half-orc monk, and I just decided that he was, like, Conan's nemesis, and I wrote this, like, long backstory about him and Conan, like, fighting and trying to kill one another, and, like, how he's been thrown across the plains through portals in the Hyperborea, whatever. And uh, he was just, like, this evil brute. And we were in the uh, that Git Yonki adventure path from, I think, yeah. 2... 2.0? Yep. 2.0, yeah. And uh, we're in, like, the City of the Gith, and uh, he had this helmet he really liked. And you get in, like, their city is on a dead god's body. So you find these, like, repositories of god energy. So, of course, I just drank it. Because that's yeah, what Krampus clearly. does. He's a brutal barbarian. <laughs> he was a monk, but really he was a barbarian. And uh, then I, because I, like, I drank too much and there was nothing else I could get from it, I started feeding it to my helmet. And by the end of that game, they had killed Krampus. Because once again, the party betrayed me to kill my character, which is a little <laughs> bit of a theme for them. <laughs> And uh, the the only thing that survived, like, the fall of the city, because Krampus, of course, caused the city to fall and killed the Gith God and, like, drank the ashes of their favorite hero or something. He was blasphemous everywhere. Uh, but Badass lived. Nice. And he is now the demigod of, uh, of, of helmets. That's, that's an important purview, man. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's my story. Sometimes it's good to take the DM's direction. 
uh, but listen, you know, listen to them, but don't make an NPC for the DM. Let them make their own NPCs and, and make your character. <laughs> All right. I was going to tell a different story, but I, I got one that kind of speaks to GM intent, and I was the GM. Um, this was a game that was a homebrewed game, but it, you can equate it to D&D &D pretty well in terms of, like, HP and damage and stuff. So, actually, no, it was d and It was, like, one of my first D&D &D 3.5 games. Anyway, so... The party is walking along the road, and they had this guy, Dale Sanal, who was with them, or was with them. He was a GMPC that I convinced him was a GMPC, and for the longest time, they didn't realize he was the equivalent of basically Loki. Uh, he was fucking with the party the entire time. Um, so Dale actually likes them, and he helps them and whatever. But there's another trickster trying to mess with them. So these guys should have known. They literally were walking across the, the ground, the, you know, between towns, and roll some dice don't really doesn't really mean anything actually i'm just rolling to see like ooh, it's a mess with them and um they see a bag of gold a really big bag of gold just sitting unattended middle of the road now i should know it was the homebrew game but anyway equivalent and, the, and i'm just like if you guys saw that just jim goes you suddenly see an obvious unattended bag of gold what's your first reaction Depends on the character I'm playing, but for most of my characters, it would be to trick somebody into going and checking the bag of gold. So, the players are like, they, they, they're a little suspicious, but not really. One guy just starts stuffing his clothing with money. <laughs> and another one, like, be like, I kind of look at the coin, does it have anything? They're like, no, just normal coin. Alright, puts a few in there. One guy takes a few. Three of the party members are like, no, no, we, no, we know Scott, no, no. And um, they get about six hours down the road and I go how many coins did you take and they go why I go because each one's 1d6 points of damage that goes off huh. and they're like oh, God. I'm like you guys have been dogged by a trickster for like you guys are in a war of tricksters and you pick up unattended gold on the ground why yeah it was like <laughs> and it was not like between cities it was like far north like Nothing lives here. <laughs> and there's like, yeah, totally. It's just like, it's like giving Medusa an eye, offering to go to like, you know, the Gorgon and give her an eye exam. You know, the Basilisk give an eye exam. It's like, all right, yeah, nope, you guys deserve every inch of that. And uh, we had two players pretty dead. Um, one very badly wounded, and they were able to resurrect both of them. But they learned that really quick, that the tricksters are not messing around with them. Yeah. <laughs> Tell the, oh, Mike, I'll tell that 40k story another time because it is fluffy and like GM story related. You'll you'll get a kick out of that one. All right. But yeah, yeah. Um, the next part of our show is the um, favorite working projects. Oh yeah, Mike, I hear you're uh, working on something. Maybe. Well, uh, I am. I'll talk about that at the end. It's the Book of Celestial Heroes. We just unlocked it on the uh, the Book of Celestial Kickstarter. It's really neat. Which but, I just backed. Uh, I had the most popular blog post I've ever done this week yeah. uh, with the Star Wars D&D 5e hack. As uh, somebody on Facebook was like, oh, I wonder if we could make Star Wars out of D&D 5e. And I was like, oh, yeah, probably. And then I thought about it for a second. I was like, oh, shit. I've already made all the tools to do this. And they're just, like, sitting around in free PDFs on my website. So then I spent, like, two hours, like, okay, well, here's how you do it. You know, Hyperscore 1 to 4 or so. And then I hear Padawans and Jedi Masters and jump and parallels. And here's how you do a Consular and lightsabers and take the races from this guy's 46 page star wars document mm -hmm. and use that and uh yeah everybody loved it i was very pleased 
And uh, if you want to give Star Wars D&D 5e a quick try, go to my website and check out the Star Wars D&D 5e hack. Mike, and I speaking it. of... Oh, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, um, that's actually a lot of fun doing conversions for stuff. I did a Dune conversion from Paizo over for a Pathfinder, and I also did a... Which actually got a lot of attention. I posted it somewhere on a board and like... Dune, not yeah. Doom. Yeah, Dune. Like with an N. Dune, okay. like Paul Atreides. Right. I'm a Dune fanatic. Um, I also converted over all the races from Star Trek, which was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah no, no, hacks are really neat. And then so um, somebody fun. on Yen World was all like, no, you can't do this. And much to my surprise, you managed to bring him around from being a troll and like engaging, so that was also very rewarding. And I got to do a drop that I've been waiting forever because Frank Mentzer at one point on Facebook was like, oh, yeah, this is how I use nuclear warheads in D&D. And I just, like, screenshot it. I was like, oh, God, yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess we got to tell this guy who's one of the crazy D&D. Like, he's wrong. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, but speaking about space stuff, I'm sure Robert is working on some kind of space something that he can talk about. Me? Space? No. Never. No? no? Oh, never. God. No, never. There's a different I Robert know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Robert Spaceman. <laughs> Captain Spaceman um, to you. It's pronounced Spachemin. It's pronounced Spachemin. <laughs> Captain, Captain Spachemin. Um, I'm working on something for Starfinder right now, but I'm fairly certain it isn't announced yet, so I can't talk about it. Um, but uh, for stuff I can talk about, um, I'm actually in the process of doing the development for the second major release for Athera, uh, the Intrigue Manual, which um, is kind of like a, a plug-in for all of the um, Ultimate Intrigue stuff that was coming out while we were working on the um, Athera campaign setting. Mm -hmm. So it focuses on like the settings like factions and organizations and how to incorporate the Intrigue rules into um, the campaign, like what does a heist look like in space? Um, how do the uh, pursuit rules work in like space combat or like for space travel and uh introduces some rules for um setting up and running your own or dismantling someone else's propaganda systems cool. um and i actually while we were talking i actually got a piece of art um that i'm going to put up on facebook later from one of uh, our artists for a propaganda poster for nice. one of the uh the settings factions so i'm i'm really excited about that there's four adventures i'm developing right now for it um only four it's only four. Um, they've they're they're kind of they've been in the oven a while. Uh, the core book took uh, considerably longer than expected to come out, um, and wound up being two hundred pages longer. So um, I didn't have time to work on the adventures and get them ready. So now they're they're kind of the next thing on the burner. That's pretty cool. And how many adventures are are planned right now? Um, there are five in total that should be coming out all this year, um, and then I'm also working on uh, an adventure for Free RPG Day next year um, that I'm going to be demoing um, next weekend, actually, at cool. uh, Jetpack Comics in Rochester, New Hampshire, which is where the Ninja Turtles came from. Oh, cool. Very, very, very cool. Yeah. All right. And uh, Scott, what is what is your... your... So I, 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 get, I got some stuff I can't talk about. I'll talk about in a week or two. Hopefully. Um, but, so you put out Ian's thing for Free Wars. We're doing, we're doing some stuff for Free Wars in the meet while we're finishing up the massive other stuff we're doing. Um, free Wars, if you guys don't know, is a free war game system. It's really easy to learn. We're putting, this week we are putting up the uh, core rules entirely for free on our wiki. Um, it's not very long. Again, like you can learn it in like 10 minutes. Um, use whatever you got. It's great. Um, and we're putting out what's called Fast Wars, which is the kind of nickname for the 
system generic setting, but actually the more I research it, the more stuff I pour into it, because I have that whole historical combat background. I'm like, yeah. and then you do this, and then you do that, and then you, then you do this other things over here, and this actually works like it does in the real world, and how this, I'm like, all right, Scott, you have to cut down the lore to, you know, a paragraph or two, because um, it's very generic, but it still works as, like, military principle, kind of interestingly. Man, it's really hot in here. Um, but yeah, that's coming out this week. Uh, Rift Rider should be coming out this week, too. I'm so pumped for that. In the formatting, it's so pretty. If you guys don't know, that's our Mutants and Mastermind big book. Um, otherwise, yeah, that's that's all I'm working on that I can talk about. I should have mentioned uh, that I started to to properly maintain the Time to Stall page on Facebook. Good. So Good. if you go look up, or I guess Gestalt, although I preferred the other pronunciation. But yeah, I, I talked a little bit about uh, the game's concept and then how you go about character creation if somebody wants to go and look up Time to Stall. You let, you let me know when that's going out, man. That's... That's big news. Oh, it's gonna be a while. It's gonna be a while. I'm taking a long time because it's it's my baby. I've been working on that thing for five or six years. Wow. Longer? Yeah, a long time. Anyway, that's for another time. But yeah, anyway. Ah, so hey. much time. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, favorite projects that we are not working on. Uh, there are two cool things that have come out for, uh, oh, I guess I'm talking about that later. Uh, so I'll talk about Christ the World Leader Omega, Inheritor of the Entropy Heart. So in classic comic book fashion, what I thought was the climax of uh, the, the adventure path was not the climax, and there ends up being a bigger adventure for 18th level characters uh, using the Pathfinder rules. And I mention it because that's perfect for Epicore 2099. Uh, it's just the type of like narrative that should be going on and like actions and environments, and the power level is up there. So if you've got some operators that are nearing the top of their hyperscore, then they are probably ready for, for that adventure. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I'll put it in the uh, Twitter window. Twitch, Twitch window, rather. So, uh, Robert, you got something? You like this someone else is working on? Um, yeah, it's it's a little ways out, but um, okay. I actually have been really eagerly anticipating the uh, Construct Builder's Guide book from Paizo. Um, yeah. I have been wanting a book like this for pretty much ever, um, and I'm just like, keep looking at the release date and being like, don't get pushed back, don't get pushed back, don't get pushed back. <laughs> Um, that's like on the forefront of my mind right now. That and People of the Wastes. I, I have this like Alkenstar gunslinger western adventure that I really want to put together at some point, and that's like exactly my cup of tea. That's pretty cool. Um, I got something not game project related. I don't know, it's kind of related. Um, if you guys don't know, Sean K. Reynolds is trying to make the world a bit better place. About the time Trump that seems like, right. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty par for the course for him. <laughs> um, but he is, um, he's been doing his generosity giveaways. If you guys don't know what this is, he puts it all over his Facebook. Uh, he basically takes a picture of something and goes, Hey guys, if you want this, just comment and I'll send it to you. Every now and then I comment. And um, actually, today I got, I, or a few weeks ago, I had won something. I didn't even think of it. And um, he actually sent me over some uh, cool minis. These are like pig orcs, you know what I mean? Like orc, mm -hmm. orc style pigs bunch of candy a bunch of dice some cool like model pieces i don't know it's really cool sean you are awesome man keep making the world a better place and he does it he does this with a lot of stuff um yeah james or jay thackeray from no direction just caught pathfinder core book signed by like everybody at paizo yeah i saw that i saw that that's fabulous yeah i have down here i think i still have it down here do i yeah 
Scott's good people. He's one of the reasons I'm a game designer, actually, and the whole reason that I got back into D and D because of that. Uh, did you read the what's it called? The new Argonauts thing he did for 3.0. That sounds really familiar. That it's was free. a long time. Go ago. download it. It was a long ass time ago. I was still in yeah. college. Um, but uh, yeah, he was like, "Here's how you make Grecian epics." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, dude, yep. it's fucking brilliant. Yep. It was brilliant. I was like, "Oh my god, I want to play this," and then that got me to suck me right back in. <laughs> I can't find it, but I have one of the books written by him, signed by him. It's his, it's his designer copy. Oh. I got I gotta find that. It was something. I actually bought it off eBay when he was trying to get raise some money for something. For some, I think it was for a charity, and I, I bought it way back when. I don't want to get up and go <laughs> look for it, but I know where it is. Well, anyway, yeah, check out Sean's Facebook page and yeah. get in on the giveaways i think all you have to do is comment yeah and then you're put into a lottery and he mails it to you no cost nothing like yeah that. so that's hey, real amazing. quick i will be pop right back my ac just came on i think my, my ac's been off all day it is currently 106 outside so i will be right back my okay. keep going don't worry about it uh well the next part of the show is pathfinder and starfinder news and speculation uh i'm gonna keep mentioning this <laughs> every single show but somebody has collected an awesome document on google drive that contains all of the information released about Starfinder so far. Uh, if you're in the Twitch chat room, click on that guy and you will find many things to read. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of blog posts this week about Starfinder and uh, how it relates to Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. uh, so what was the, who, who wrote the first one, the five differences between that? Uh, Owen, I been, think. Owen was the second one, I thought. Owen was the second one? Was yeah. it Amanda? This one was Robert McCreary. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Hit points, Sorry, send I points, resolve points. <laughs> they, uh, they just Andy's told me back. that it is um, actually going to be longer. But oh. that's good. Right. Sorry, continue. No, yeah. That's cool. Uh, so there are three types of like uh, points that you get in Starfinder. Uh, hit points, stamina points, resolve points. Uh, whenever you take damage, stamina points go away before you lose hit points. And then resolve represents like grit and luck. Uh, there are two different kinds of armor classes, energy and kinetic. That's pretty self-explanatory. There are no iterative attacks. Uh, if you want to use a full action, you can make two attacks with a minus four penalty, but otherwise that's it. Uh, there are only three kinds of attacks of opportunity in Starfinder. Moving out of a threatened square, making a ranged attack, and casting a spell. That's all. And then uh, magic is magic. There's no distinction between arcane, divine, psychic, whatever. It's just magic is magic. Mystics and technomancers get different spell lists. Uh, then Owen did an amazing post on the actual compatibility between Pathfinder and Starfinder. Yep. Um, oh, I, I mean, I, I you got to be part of the Starfinder playtest, right, Robert? Yeah, yeah, I was. I uh, I was a part of the playtest for it. Um, the final game looks significant. Well, I won't say significantly different, but it does look different from the playtest in a lot of good ways. They took uh, our, our feedback to heart um, on a lot of the uh, the parts of it. It's it looks interesting. Can you think of any other like a sixth or seventh major distinction between the two, aside from obviously starship combat? There's a person right off uh, frame with a knife. Um, if I say anything, he will kill me. All right. <laughs> it's still going blink on. All right, that's cool. If you're, if you're okay, blink twice. The Paizo assassins. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> little, that little, prestige was pretty bad. Little gnomes. They're <laughs> not little gnomes. They're the, uh, they use the warehouse raptors for that. Okay. <laughs> that's the clicking I hear. All right. Well, then Owen did an amazing blog post about the differences or the compatibility between Starfinder and uh, Pathfinder. First of all, Starfinder is completely by itself a role-playing game you can play by itself, right? Don't need to include Pathfinder. Yeah. Uh, but there's a big changes like the loss of or you know, the loss of iterative attacks, the introduction of stamina points, in in front of hit points, 
and uh, different like armor classes and stuff. So uh, there are a couple of major conclusions. Stuff like uh, basic combat statistics will not be that hard to convert. You know, dealing damage, hitting an AC, saving throws, not that hard. Uh, for stuff like magic item spells, feats, equipment, and other like player options, conversion gets a little bit stickier because there's a lot of assumptions with a space game. Like everybody should be able to get access to a space suit, which protects you give, basically is immunity to cold, immunity to fire, immunity to air-based gases and toxins and shit. And if you're playing in Pathfinder, you don't get that to like what 16th level maybe, 15, yeah. 14, somewhere right there. Uh, so there's those those like those major assumptions. Are, are kind of uh, in the face of conversions. And then um, they have a lot of advice on like how to deal with classes that aren't part of Starfinder. So like if you want to play a monk and do Flurry of Blows, they give you advice on different ways to incorporate a monk so they can do that, but they don't have like a straight, here's here's the Starfinder monk. Yeah. And then um, for races, that was, it's not really an issue because they've included most of the races from Pathfinder as uh, part of the Pathfinder Legacy chapter for the Starfinder Core rulebook, which covers just bringing Pathfinder into space. And I would uh, be surprised if you didn't see the rest of them that aren't in there over the course of the the Alien oh, Archive books that are coming yeah, out. Yeah. I that would yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, classes are going to be the most difficult thing to move over, and that's the part that's largely going to fall to GM discretion and such. Um. Do and yeah, in many ways, all of Pathfinder. He's, this is a quote. In many ways, all of Pathfinder is like a series of Starfinder Unchained books. Optional rules and subsystems the GM can adapt or not as appropriate for their game and their own desire to tinker. But I will comment on that because the next one is the one I actually give a shit about. Like I cared about the compatibility thing, but like I'm yeah, not yeah. that worried about it because I'm sure they'll make a great game and that'll convert easy. I've been worried about Starship Combat, and that's the next article. So if you guys want to add to what, what Owen yeah. said, now is the time. Go ahead, Robert. Nope. Oh, no? I was going to... I Thoughts on the uh, Starship Combat oh. stuff, too. So I'd say, okay. um, one thing is, uh, I really do like the simplification of, of iterative attacks. Um, it's a fun thing, but it also gets a little... Um, what's the phrase? <laughs> yeah. It gets a bit yeah. math-heavy and turns off a lot of new players. And you're like, All In right. the vampire book I wrote for Russ, I think that uh, the big bad vampire at the end has something like 11 attacks a turn. It, it gets really so just wonky. reading the attack really string. Weird. You're like, okay, wait, hold on. Which bonus am I on? Like, yeah, yeah it can be a little, um, a little much. The other thing is, I'm actually writing some stuff that's a uh, sci-fi rules, which is kind of fun. And I wrote other sci-fi rules, obviously, earlier with uh, Necropunk, but um, um, I'm writing some of them. And one of the funny things is, I was like, iterative attacks don't exist. You can take a full round. Of, I'm like, good convergent design. I love the way they're working on it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the multi-HP track thing. I get why they do it. Um, not I really loved thing. it in Star Wars Saga. That was one of my That's, favorite yeah, things I know, about I know what you're talking Saga. about. It's just, it's just fucking not Critical hits thing. were critical fucking hits. It's, like, it's, yes. it's not quite what it was in Saga Edition, um, and I don't think I'm saying anything no one knows yet, because they demoed it at PaizoCon. Um, it's a little different than it was in Saga Edition, but it definitely feels like that was part of the inspiration. Yeah, you know, Owen. Owen was Saga, so that's probably... Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't like tracking that much information. Whenever we're working on something, we always go, how much is the player tracking? How much headspace? Um, mm -hmm. What? How much brain capacity is it, like, in the front of their brain? Oh, what's the phrase for that? I forget what it is. I, apparently, I don't have much of it. Um, but the... Uh, 
But Where I don't know. What? No, there's a, ter- there's a term for the amount of capacity you can store in your uh, act- active memory. Sorry. Your active uh. memory, what you can actively cognitively function on, or keep in your brain, um, your, in your active memory is, a little, is very small, actually. So when you have a character with HP, um, you know, BAB, AC. Well, they're only going to have one attack now. I know, so. I know. So it's going to fo- shift it a little bit, but still keeping track of all those, that's a little bit more to keep in your active memory. And um, that, that's, that's the only part that makes me kind of squint a little bit at it. But otherwise, it sounds really fun. I like, I like the From changes. a design perspective, that's one of the reasons I prefer to do Pathfinder design over 5e, because you can get this like small small little tornado of bonuses, and you can control the size, and that yeah, yeah. lets you modulate the level of drama much easier than in, in, in other games, because mm-hmm. they've, they've really hit that simulation hotspot. Mm-hmm. But Starship Combat. So sure, in, yep. in previous episodes, I've talked about how I think Starfinder is going to be either made or broken by how good their combat in space is. And uh, Ian World went to uh, UK Games Expo, and Russ got to sit down and play some. So there is a great article on Ian World that you can read that I will link in the chat window, but I'm just going to read the best parts to you now, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, the party must work together to control a single ship rather than acting independently, and each member takes a role that is distinct from the regular class, such as pilot, engineer, or gunner. When combat breaks out, the different roles act in their own phases. Starting with the engineer deciding how much to like how to modify the ship's power grid for the upcoming turns. Next, the pilot decides how to move the ship around in an expansive hex grid, and many of the abilities and actions uh, of Starship Combat are designed around <laughs> shifting arcs and lining up broadsides. So uh, they kind of need the hex grid because otherwise it's a little difficult to convey those details. And then finally, the ships open fire upon one another, and as with conventional combat, this involves attempting to roll well enough to blast through the target's shield. Much skill coming from picking up the right choice of weapon and the order to shoot them in. Uh, our playthrough well felt like a strange field. mashup Much of Pathfinder and a grid-based right version of Games Workshop's classics, uh, Battlefield Gothic, which Battle means Fleet. nothing to me, but sounds good because I like Games Workshop. A full party of five or more will have access to a captain and science officer, each of whom can provide buffs and bonuses. And um, he concludes like it, it may be for it might be an issue for some gamers, uh, but when we finally blew the goblinoids apart and prepared to board the wrecks, we still celebrated. Well, it may not. F- quite feel like Pathfinder combat, it did manage to capture the air of teamwork, planning, and leadership that makes the battles in Star Trek so exciting, which is super encouraging. <laughs> um, ordering the engineer to boost the engine so that the pilot can pull off a stunt maneuver, line up the enemy's weak spot for the gunner is satisfying in a way that is hard to explain. And uh, most importantly for me, the aim for an adventure is that around 1 in 10 encounters will be space combat. Uh, and I say that as the most important, not the part that makes me most excited, because I was thinking it was going to be like more more one in three or one in four so i don't know what do you what do you guys think i <clears throat> i think that's a good balance uh the one in ten because the starship combat is significantly different from the regular game in terms of like its feel that uh, ian world talked a bit about that it feels a little bit like a board game um there are definitely some some rock paper scissors elements um sort of kind of um so it's it's i i think that it's a seasoning that's best used sparingly so that it has more punch when it does show up. Hmm. Um, but you can easily build an entire campaign around the Starship combat rules if you really want to have like a space battle heavy thing. Um, so Starfinder's version of that is is pretty interesting. I, I can talk more about the, the parallels between what I did too later. Um, but we, we had very similar ideas for what we wanted to do. <laughs> very, very similar ideas. Well, you had thirsty over there, and that probably didn't yeah. hurt. Yeah. 
Um, so, two thoughts come to mind. First, you guys ever played Skies of Arcadia? Yeah, fuck yeah, I beat it. Oh, I Took me forever. Yep. I fucking destroyed it. I was so um, happy. I was like 28. You, got, you guys like, remember those, my um, year. remember those, like the ship battles and that? Yep. Yeah. Um, they were used against bosses mostly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the scale they're looking at for, um, ship combat 1 and 10. Maybe it's a little bit more common than Skies of Arcadia had it, but, um, still, I kind of like that. I really do. Um, the part that I like less is that it's a very separate game using different game boards and everything. And I get why they're doing it. It just, there's a little, I like to see my stuff transferred. Again, I, um, we actually. Part that fills me with trepidation is like, I thought it was going to be good enough that it would be like a 20% of the time thing. Making only 10% of the time thing makes me feel like, oh god, maybe they're not as confident about it as they should be. I, I don't think it's that. I think they're no? they're pretty confident in it. It's just, it's it's an investment to play the the space combat stuff and not everyone might be entirely on board for it. So I, I, I think it's going to be kind of a see how the response is to it and see how much right. people like having space combat in their adventures and then they can always add more but it's it's kind of like making soup once you've made it you can't unmake it yeah so that's true. one of the things i'm kind of concerned about is like so i take a feat or a talent or whatever and i'm building myself towards i don't know being a star some kind of weird you know i mean an engineer like man i really want to do some great stuff in ship combat i want to be that guy who can really mess with that power grid and really make myself do the cool stuff but then if it's 1 in 10, is that really worth taking any support stuff Well, you for? see, that's when you relegate it to one of the, the, you know, like a lesser stat boost, like a trait or something. As opposed yeah, to I mean, like, I'm wondering how that works, because it's like, if if we're going to go ahead and be able to ramp it up to a full thing, am I going to have that option? Is it not? I mean, I the way I would do it would be, you know, things have secondary benefits, like feats might have a... Or in spaceship combat, it works like this, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll Personal we'll uh, design ethos, I guess. <laughs> One of the things you talked about in there about how it kind of scales out to a different grid style, mm -hmm. um, that it, it kind of reminds me of the old like PS1 era like RPGs where it was like, here's you in battle, and then here's you in the town, and it's yep. two totally different styles of graphics. Now you're a cube with arms. Um, it was one of the things that we we didn't it's the one area we don't overlap in between athera and starfinder is we we kept the the square grid and the combat rules kind of just move directly from like you're on foot to you're in a ship where yeah. you can just turn your ship around and fight people on foot with it if you want to i think you can still do that in starfinder too i'm just not sure how it integrates with the the grid system or the their hex grids but it's it's interesting to see where where we lined up and where we diverged Yep, I did um, the Necropunk campaign setting, which is a biotech future thing, mm -hmm. uh, way back when, and we did, that was years ago, six years, five years ago? Yeah. Or something like that. Anyway, um, and we did something similar with our ship combat. We basically just said, everything scales up a little bit, um, mm -hmm. and th that setting has a lot of small ships for a few reasons, so mm -hmm. it actually, you could literally put your ships, most ships on the thing, except for some of the really big ships, but even the capital ships would be like, colossal creatures maybe yeah um so it's like and because this is literally they're literally living they actually have capacity to be like you can treat this like a creature except you're controlling yep. it that's um, the same thing we do yeah. yeah um with some modifications but that's basically how you work it um mm -hmm. so again i'm 
I'm interested to see how they do it, but I'm a little hesitant saying that much of a chunk chunk. And, the, and you were talking about the overworld mm -hmm. before. Yeah, I kind of see that a little bit. Yeah. I'm interested to see how they, they tie it into um, Starfinder Society, too. I know, yeah. I'm sure Thurston is probably sweating hearing me mention that. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how in, in an organized play, how everyone having their own ship is going to work. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the, uh, the Gen Con games go. Is there a Starfinder special yet, or are they... I don't know. That sounds familiar, but uh, nothing's been announced. Oh, and I might end up making it to Gen Con this year because I saw, um, who is it? Oh, shit. It's the people who make Splinter. Uh, End Mission Games or something like that. Mm -hmm. I met them last Gen Con and I liked them. They're nice people and they're looking for people to run their booth and stuff. And they were offering not just a ride from the tri state area, which includes Pittsburgh, but uh, like space in their hotel room and per diem and a bag. Hey. Yeah, That's I was like, sleeping in a van. fucking bitch, I'll do that. I don't know, Mike loves his give me a ride and all that stuff. No, because it cost, it cost me like a, about 80 bucks in gas just to get out there. So, yeah, I might be at Gen Con this year. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, any other Starfinder, Pathfinder? Oh, God, we didn't even talk about Kingmaker. Jesus. Let's talk about that in the Kickstarter <laughs> section, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did you move it down? That's why. I didn't okay, move I thought... it down. I didn't touch the Kickstarter section. Okay, I added I move it down? That's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I thought I had a, a whole bunch of things. Oh, I guess we just talked about that last week. I just got myself confused. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So we're out of Pathfinder, Starfinder news this week? Yeah. Yep. All right. D&D uh, &D 5e. Uh, the Stream of Annihilation is the next uh, the next adventure path from WotC. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I was disenthused because, like, I, I just, I literally, the guy we had on last week, uh, the last thing I wrote for him was a zombie dinosaur adventure. And that is apparently what Stream of Annihilation is. So, fuck you, Watsy. Um, <laughs> so that's going out in September man. 2017. And then uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything comes out in November 2017. Um, I guess it's going to cover all the new the new subclasses. Um, stuff for DMs to expand their game. Uh, pretty much all the Unearthed Arcana stuff. Uh, which just makes me angry because guess what's not going to be OGL, everybody? Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Fun. So, yeah. Then, uh, Robert, I saw you were stoked about Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Betrayal. That board game is just, like, my favorite. And I, I haven't even picked up the new expansion they just did that Wes wrote for. But, man, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, that's, like, smashing two of my favorite things together. So I am pumped for that. And for those who haven't heard about it, it's Baldur's Gate and Betrayal, and that is just going to a place, it's horrible, one of you turns into a monster and everyone dies. It's so much fun. <laughs> I love it. It's it's like Dwarf Fortress, losing is fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dwarf Fortress is a whole nother... Whole nother <laughs> that, that's another yeah. episode, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then uh, there's a new Unearthed Arcana uh, for June. It's just revised class options for the Shepherd Druid, Cavalier Fighter, Conquest Paladin, Celestial Warlock. Uh, so if you like those, check them out. They have been updated. And then um, other non-Kickstarter-y D&D 5e news, anybody? No, I got nothing. All right. Okay, so other RPG business. Oh, EN World had an article, uh, which is basically exactly what Mike has been saying Hasbro has been doing for years now, called uh, Is D&D Tabletop Gaming's Shideshow? And uh, yeah, if you've watched this show before, 
you will see many of the things I complain about in that article. And I really do. I think that that, that Hasbro, not Watsy, but Hasbro has decided that the thing they want to do is turn D&D into like a stamper IP license they can put on whatever video game, board game, book, comic, print, t-shirt, whatever. And that they're ultimately going to phase out the tabletop part if they get a choice. Because all they see it as, instead of being, you know, what D&D is, I think the Hasbro execs see it as just, like, taking our money. And, ah, drives me nuts. (sighs) Any thoughts on that, guys? Robert, you got anything on that? That's par for course. It's Wizards yeah. of the Coast. I mean, you know, they they market everything to the hill, but that's you know, a successful company has to do some licensing and marketing. I mean, I'm surprised it took Paizo as long as it did for them to really get into licensing their mm-hmm. their stuff, and that seems to be, for the most part, successful now. Yeah. So, it, it's just how far they take it to one extreme or another. Well, I think a lot of that was they wanted to to really like refine and build up the value of the IP itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Before. So, like, to make Amari and uh, Varys like names that we or not. It's not Varys. I know it's wrong. No. Nope. The... You just say names. Vala- that you... Valeros. Valeros. Yep. The fact that I can re- even remember their names, <laughs> I can't remember any fucker from D and D except for maybe Elminster and Drizzt. Like yeah. that's it. that's all I can remember. Mm-hmm. Unless you're talking about the gods, in which case we're no longer talking about like the IP's heroes. Mm-hmm. So. Like, yeah, no, I, I think that was just, like, a really calm, collected approach from Lisa mm-hmm. and Eric, honestly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, there's new tradition of... Uh, oh, yeah, and thank you, Paizo, for being not a bunch of douches. Like <laughs> New edition of Warmer 40K is on pre-order. Uh, okay. Scott, this is much closer to yeah. you than me. So I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit... Uh, this is something that I've been going on and on about. Remember, I was like, man, they keep putting out rule books quicker and quicker. Well, a few years back, it used to be every four years or so, but now it's every two damn years. Dude, the writing on the wall is bleeding over there. I know. (laughs) Dude, it's 60 bucks a book, and they redo the codexes. What the hell? Dude, that's what I'm telling you. They're they're just like, quick, bleed the sheep now before it gets away. Like, that's it. I stopped after a while. I'm like, I I can't afford this, you know? Like, even when I had good money coming in, I'm like, I don't want to drop 60 bucks every other year for a freaking book. And then you, know? you have to buy the miniatures, too. Well, no, you, the miniature, yeah, oh, well, the miniatures are expensive. miniatures. Yeah, but the problem is sometimes the, the codexes or the core rules basically make your miniatures just not usable anymore. Oh, and we're I actually not supporting this even army. more common in the latest edition. Oh, so actually, okay, the, new, the newest one, I did read over a thing. There's some things I liked. Uh, one is basically free play, put whatever the hell down you want, and use this formula and the other guy can put down that much too it's nope. got is the codex codex astartes static in, in lore it is but not in uh the uh the codex astartes is not it has been changed several times oh. so let's say you have to buy a codex every edition or so because and if you don't you have these really old janky rules that you can't really use but are still legal and then you go to the game table and they're like, I don't believe you, get out of here. Um, and stuff like that. Um, again, I did like their free play rules. They did toss a cool bunch of cool things in there. Now, if they could just give me I codexes for free, I'd be happy. And maybe I'd play again. <laughs> maybe that's going to be like the last ditch effort. When they're like, we just have to sell more miniatures. Make all of them obsolete and make the rule book free. 
I don't know, man. It 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 burned it burns me a bit. I was like, I used to be really into that. I used to play them all the time. So I get a good I get a few good stories from GM lessons. Um, but I like uh, when I'm reading the novels, I can like picture in my head people playing the game and mm -hmm. like how the novel probably came about with certain sequences. Yeah, and it's and it's and freaking it cool when you neat. play it. Yeah. When when improbably awesome things happen. When I had a whole round of an apocalypse game, take a shot at my chaos warlord for or chaos. Uh, yeah, a uh, world or a chaos lord. They shot it for an entire round and it survived for some goddamn reason. And I'm not half a table, and I'm not talking about like piddly guys. We had half a table of tau shooting at it, and it just survived <laughs> everything until the last thing. But it took up an entire round of table, entire tables round of. No, it's it's compelling, and there's a lot oh, of infrastructure so too. Like, there's a place called Legions over on Route 19 in Pittsburgh, and they have like a full fucking battleship that you can play in. Oh, yeah, and like so a bunch of other cool. tables too, but like yeah, it's the at this point I think that they're just they're just squeezing the rock as hard as they possibly can because they Man, know the only blood that come out is from their own damn hand when they cut it on the rock. No, that's, oh. that's they're not they're gonna get their golden parachutes at that point. I know it just it's it bugs me. It's such a great IP. It's such an interesting game. The mechanics uh, are another... fun weird and questionable move in tabletop gaming uh so for those on the outside you may not know this but there are a couple of major distributors here in america and around the world for role-playing games uh, one of them is alliance and mm -hmm. asmodi north america is only going to be going through alliance from now on which is kind of a big deal uh like it's it's to our advantage that there are more distributors as opposed to less so if this becomes like a trend and they cut down on Diamond and force Diamond out to being like just comics and stuff. Like, I don't know. It could have an impact on uh, what you see at your your friendly local game store and how many friendly local game stores can survive when it's yeah. down and you know the industry's distribution side has been monopolized. Mm -hmm. So, um, for for folks watching that you know our peers that we work with, like, hey guys, read this one. This, this is kind of important. Yeah. Um, on more lighthearted note. Uh, LPG Design has, or LPJ Design, has <laughs> released the first adventure for uh, the the new Neo Exodus organized play, and it is totally free. And Check I'm excited about that. I really hope him that he that he does well. Uh, we've been trying to get this thing called three play off the ground forever, and everybody's a bitch about it. So I kind of hope that like uh, Lewis just taking the reins and moving forward will will help everybody else get on board. We'll see. I'd like to see third party Pathfinder organized play though. I think that'd be very neat. Anybody else have other RPG business that's not Kickstarter related? Uh, other than my undying rage against, uh, you know, Warhammer's stuff, no, I'm good. <laughs> Nothing here. All right. No rage. Uh, so now we're talking about other media of interest. Uh, there is going to be a live-action Cowboy Bebop series. <laughs> uh, by this, this is the real like cherry for me. Uh -huh. By the screenwriter of Thor, the last two Thor movies. So, Scott, you should be excited. Didn't you like them? I did, but I hated Ghost in the Shell. It was... Oh, oh is he Ghost in the Shell, too? I have no idea, but we've just fucked okay. up so many times with this. I mean, even... Oh, I'm sure that, that it'll oh. be almost all white people in this. Don't worry. Well, no, here's the thing. I don't even care about that. I like I've Even the Japanese people, when they transition something to live action, it has mm -hmm. done... like I There's like maybe one or two I can think of that were like decent. Oh, I don't know. De I, there were decent the... ones, but, but most of them are complete trash. The, uh, the recent over. Attack on Titans live actions were pretty good. Okay, like I said, they were there are exceptions, than I they were be. but I don't think this will be the exception. Mm. This isn't screaming, 
they really understand the the. I mean, I, I've read thesis papers on this show, dude. I have literally read <laughs> literary criticism, like in depth. The art of loneliness, um, the use of jazz and blues, and what it signifies in each damn scene. I mean, I, I have really gone into depth on this, and I don't think the, the guy for who's you know doing Thor is really going to do that type of research and work that into it. <laughs> here's the here's the really easy like answer on that. Is like unless Yoko Kano comes screaming out of the woods and does yeah. the soundtrack for this, I it can go away. Like a friend of mine said, pretty much the exact same thing. And I mean, if they aren't either using her already written music and just doing arrangements of it, or getting her to recompose stuff, it, it's not going to matter because you can't. It'd be like watching a Star Wars fan film that doesn't use John Williams' score. It yeah. just feels off. You know, you, you hear, like, the almost, like, rebel theme or something. Like, it, it just, the music is a character in that show. Totally. And if you try and just throw on, even, like, if you use contemporary jazz or something, like, it's I just, can... it's, it's not, it's that's not what it was. That's not, yeah, I have very strong feelings about it. Sarah <laughs> Wanatabe's, like, one of his interviews, he says, I mean, it was on the, um, one of the few movies I can watch over and over is the Cowboy Bebop movie. Um, I put it in the background when I work. Um... He said, this is East meets West fusion, and that's where the music, that's where the story, that's where the character came from. That's why you see American text and even Arabian or Arabic text sometimes next to, like, English on this show. Yeah. Um, and if we're just like, American helm done, chunk, chunk, it's, it's, it, it misses that, you know? He may give it his blessing, but the, yeah, I'll give it my blessing if you sign me a check, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think I'd rather see like uh, live action fully Gully first. Or... No, no. Don't why e not? Don't even do... That could be really fucking cool. Or like, don't oh even... oh, dead leaves. Like that would be perfect. To I can see live I can see a little bit of that. Don't yeah, get it. Short, I, I, I've written fully literary works. critiques of fully Cooly on like multiple damn levels. That if is there... awesome stuff. If someone did a live action version of that show, I would only watch it if it was either done by Brian Fuller or the guy who's doing Legion right now yep. because I think either of them could capture the weird 100% because that's I mean I don't know with Legion I thought he was going a little bit overboard at times but he did manage yet. to not like, capsize yeah it's it, it's pretty good it's pretty good it gets Legion, better it's on my list. Watch yeah. Legion's one of the best things that that's come out of the Fox side of the Marvel cinematic whatever in years aside from Logan I guess I just saw that actually last weekend. I missed it because I was poor. And it's really damn good. Everyone else in... My mom and my uh, wife hated it, but I loved it. <laughs> but yeah, um, next on the list. We already talked about Wonder Woman a bit, but hey guys, it's out. Yeah. Go see it. I watched I, it. You watched it. Spoilers are about to come on because we've I, all seen Wonder Woman. Wait, Robert, just have you seen saw it? it last night. Oh, I fantastic. just saw it last night. Yeah. So what, here, for, just saw it. What, what are your feelings? Um, I thought the first two acts were pretty strong. Um, the third act kind of goes a little off the rails into the giant CGI yeah, yeah. monster fight. Um, and my girlfriend pointed this out, and I kind of saw it too, is that Wonder Woman did what other people said a lot, and that's kind of a little against type for her, of just like, I do what I want, and no one can stop me kind of attitude. So the fact that she got kind of like, told to do things and then was like yeah all right it just seemed a little weird but overall like i have way more positive things to say about the negative like i that scene at the um the no man's land was just fucking amazing oh, yeah. i i i loved it i loved it and it's the best thing dc's done since like the dark knight 
Yep. I don't know if I'm. I mean, I don't know if I agree with what your girlfriend like. She she can do what other people say and still do what she wants. Like she makes she, she's not like unwilling to compromise. It's kind yeah. of her whole thing is that she I think it was just there was a little more compromise in some of the situations than than probably would have like. But okay. it's her first time off the island, so that, maybe that's yeah. like that's what I was about to say. Was she? This is her origin. I mean, the first bit is she is hella naive and she comes to this thing. That's the whole first scene is she's really naive until we have that scene in No Man's Land. Mm-hmm. That is that is the yeah. click moment. It's a little naivete when they first get to London. She's like, what's this place? That's what I'm talking I about. I don't yeah. like it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, Nobody likes London. That's all. I mean, she's not snapped the neck of Maxwell Lord decisive yet, but she gets there later. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, again, I, I gave a really big overview of it last time and i won't go into i thought it was much. better than what you reviewed man i i'd say this was like a 10 out of 10 this was like for as horrible and awful 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 batman versus superman <laughs> this is the total yeah. opposite in quality presentation performance everything so everything. i so i guess when related to that i was in a plane flying i just got back from uh new york um yesterday and the I had in my, they had like a go-go in-flight app or whatever I had put in my phone to watch stuff, and one of the only things I could watch was Batman versus Superman, and I decided, <laughs> and I decided not was, to watch it. That was a Delta flight, wasn't it? Uh, American. Oh, wow, okay, I was gonna say, because that's kind of like getting punched. Yeah, I know, I was just literally like, I was like, man, I could watch the new Tarzan, which is really bad, or I could watch <laughs> Dark Knight, I'm gonna watch the new Dark Tarzan movie. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I can't stand that movie. Oh my god, it's getting so hot in here, dude. It's like over 100 outside, and my apartment's not much cooler. And they're oh, not you know, AC. This is fascinating. We can actually uh, market this as watching a man cook to death. Yeah, that's great. Ah, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have any barbecue sauce? Uh, in my fridge, I can, I can pull off my shirt and let... I did offer to Mike to let my to, to do this whole podcast naked today. So, um, as you brought up Batman, now is a good time, I think, <laughs> to bring up Chicago <laughs> Batman. Chicago Batman. Apparently, Chicago has a Batman... That has been, hold on, I have some quotes from this amazing, amazing article. Uh, The feeling of dread and doom that comes over the witnesses and the sense of tragedy that lies in its wake. And it looked like a flying Batmobile. I was sitting in my semi-trailer at around noon. I saw this object coming from Route 55 in Cicero. I saw it gliding and not too fast, no sound. I saw that it was not a drone and the size of a large car. It climbed higher and turned twice. I can tell you that it glided just like a bird. It went almost straight up, and I lost it in the clouds, and this is the best part. Vance believes this incident has affected his life. The more I speak of this, and this is my morbid laughter, the worse my luck becomes. My mom died three weeks ago. I am not sure what to think at this point. So there's a dude in Chicago who thinks Batman killed his mom, and there are 14 other people with him who thinks that Batman exists in Chicago. This is, this is pretty legendary, man. Oh God! I hope I hope there is some sort of Batman spreading doom throughout the Chicago area because that would be fucking amazing. Oh, it kind of reminds me of like the Jersey Devil, but like not really, like in a really screwed up like why way. I don't know, man. I'm from Pittsburgh. We don't have any shit like that. <laughs> There's no Jersey you just Devil. Have Pittsburgh. Yeah, dude. Which, it's I mean, Pittsburgh is its own mythological creature. Yeah, dude. Uh, don't get lost in the woods. Stay away from Hickville. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that most of it? <laughs> yeah, after you get out of Pittsburgh and Philly and and and, Uri and uh, what Penn State, and Central PA, like the universities, it's it's uh, 
Watch what you say if you get too far out. But let's say you, you know what lies between Arizona or Phoenix and anywhere else in Arizona, right? Meth labs. Meth labs and like uh, coyotes, like the like the like the and drug runners, and you know, you yeah, stick yeah. to the highway and don't go, don't turn off the highway, man. Just keep going. A lot of craggy badlands. All right, so um, All right. let's move on to the Kickstarters. We got lots of those, I think. All right, well, let's start with uh, the Kingmaker RPG or CRPG Kickstarter because we forgot to mention that above. Yeah, I, <clears> I, <throat> I just backed that in your thing today, so um, that's Hey, good. guess who was almost spot on with his estimate on how much they were asking for? Mike <laughs> was. Mike was. All right, so... Uh, so they are looking for 500000 They're at 230500 right now, so they are almost halfway after the first day, so I feel pretty confident saying they're, they're going to make it. Yeah. So, um, uh, let, let, so background here. My undergrad's in game development. My degree, my master's is an, is an MBA. I've worked in the game industry. I produce titles. I know they're getting financial backing elsewhere, probably a matching back or something like that. I've run six Kickstarters, and I know what the market will tolerate. And I know, I know, I... but I'm sitting there going, I've also been a backer on the previous Kickstarter Pathfinder oh, Kickstarter. This is not nearly as ambitious as that. You know? I know, I know, but I'm sitting there going, It also doesn't require not, any upkeep. You're not going to up... Well, it, it does. Long story, but not, not as much. Okay. You, you do need skeleton crews to keep doing updates for a while. It's not going to be a long-term thing, but... Yeah, but they, nobody they has to maintain a server. No, I know, I know. Um, it's not as much. I can yeah. give you. I can give you the breakdown to my last time I worked on one of these, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where they're not asking for enough, and I think that they're hoping that they're going to overfill, um, and I think they will. They probably they probably will, but I'm. They definitely will. They're at two hundred thirty thousand after the first half. Like they're. I, I think they're going to probably end up somewhere in the seven hundred thousand, maybe with really good marketing, eight hundred thousand. It's probably. But say it's it's not where it where I would expect this to be. Um, I'm concerned about I think that. People are gun shy because of the, the previous Kickstarter, I, which asked for the moon and then gave, I don't know, hasn't been a drawing yet. of the moon. Yeah. Um, but the thing that, that the, that Kingmaker has going forward is one, Ryan Dancy is nowhere near it. Um, two, the, the rest of the team is super competent. I mean, Chris Avalone alone is just fantastic fit for this and he's been you know i don't know uh if you any of you were either of you i don't think either of you were at paizo uh, con this year but lisa talked a little bit about it how um he's been like basically hounding her to get this game made for years um so it, the the passion is there and I, I think there's more i think there's more um trying to find the diplomatic word for it uh there's more competency in the team um, and just the, the project identity is, mm -hmm. is more solid. So, I mean, it's happening whether or not the Kickstarter goes through. So this is just for all the bells and whistles. Cool. Um, and I mean, if you've seen the videos for it, 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 it looks fantastic. I missed the opportunity to play it while I was there. They apparently like had a demo of it at PaizoCon, oh. but the advertising for it was like, there was like a paper sign taped to a door apparently. And I was that's just like, wait. That's how they did it for when what? they, when I was at PaizoCon, that's how they did it for like, uh, when you could sit down and play the MMO. Yes. Yeah. 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 Adam was on was on last week and he was saying he was there and he was saying he, see some... oh, he was stuck in the dealership the whole time yeah. but see, he was saying that he saw the videos of it but now we yeah. see those same videos on the kickstarter page and again i backed yeah. it but I'm, I'm again i'm still gun shy too yeah it's I'm it's gonna take 22 bucks i was like yeah 
it's going to take a lot to wash the taste of Goblin Works out of everyone's mouth. Um, that just didn't manifest in the way people wanted. And honestly, to to quote Deus Ex, we didn't ask for this. So <laughs> I I don't, I'm yeah. So I'm the, stoked. I backed. Other people should back it. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be what everyone hoped Pathfinder Online was going to be, and. It, hopefully it means that we'll get other adventure paths especially some of the weirder ones picked up like i would love to see a mummy's mask or something dude i've just like, been dying for another like equivalent to neverwinter nights or neverwinter yeah. nights 2 game and i know this isn't quite the same layout but i think because i don't close. have to suffer through fucking Faco that i'll yeah. be able to enjoy this game because i have i've yeah. no i bought Baldur's gate three times <laughs> including the advanced edition hoping that they'd fix the goddamn user interface and it still nope. sucks nuts but if I can control the stats in a sensible way using the Pathfinder rule set, I think I'll be able to enjoy the game. So, what I'm really curious about, and this is more from like a, a professional standpoint, is uh, they, they've kind of mentioned teasingly that they figured out a way to use the OGL material in a video game without like getting the wizard ninjas on them. Um, because that's been kind of like the holding block to prevent an o a direct conversion OGL game for the longest time. So... Uh, I'm I'm curious whether they're filing the name off everything and just keeping the the general basic mechanics like you know power attack is now power punch or something like yeah, yeah. you know it, it's just different enough where they can get away with it or if there's some other kind of legal chicanery going on where they need to like balance stuff out but that's I'm I'm actually really interested to see how they did that. So my money is on not filing off the names because they have a bunch of spells they have to reference and a bunch of other things they need to reference and they're already told us. Like, there's an Inquisitor you can play, there's an Alchemist you can play, you can play any of the eight base classes, right? I think what they did was they were like, this is a D20 system. It's now a D1000 system. <laughs> Our mechanics are tied to different different languages, so that's a D. That's kind of what I think they want. Or, I mean... Because otherwise, I don't know. And, and then that way, on the player interface, it can still look like, oh, my, my strength is an 18, not yeah. my strength is effectively a 56, which yeah. is the same thing as an 18, but... See, I, I think they actually... We, were, we keep talking about the... I don't want to say goodwill, but the less less infighting between Wizards and Paizo. Yeah. Oh, this would be a Hasbro. Hasbro yeah, I know fight. it's a Hasbro thing, but it may they, may... they have a lot of people who help work on the OGL itself. Like, Ryan Davidson yeah. wrote a bunch of it. I mean, you gotta be... Yeah. You gotta know that there's... If anyone can wiggle around that, it'd be them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think they came up with a creative way for it. There there was a, a, a tweet that um, Chris Avalon put out, like, and I, I think it might be hinting to some of the serial number filing going on, and that he was talking about like oh, I can't remember what it was. It was like shock damage and something, and I'm like, wouldn't that be electricity damage? But is that a clever way of circumventing like yeah. the nomenclature of it? So I, I'm 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 interested to see how it actually like rolls out. Ah, I see what you did there. Because I think that's gonna open up a window for other people who want to do the exact same thing too. So we'll be finding out in August of next year when the Kickstarter ends. Yep. So uh, next and, uh, up we got um the culinary yeah, magic cookbook. What? Oh, we're we talking about his next. Okay, that's fine. Oh. Yes, the culinary your... oh, magic cookbook. Oh, I'm sorry. Cookbook. I thought yours is up next. No, right. no, no. This is another one I pledged to. And uh, <laughs> actually, we're gonna have uh, Alex Shanks Abel, the guy behind it. Yeah will be our guest next week so we will talk about it more in depth so this is actually but, uh, his, um... go ahead sorry yeah go ahead 
I'm just right. saying, I, I actually contacted him. He gave me this like whole statement on it. He says, I'm going to read it directly here. Um, Fleming Gra Crab Games is currently running Kickstarter for a magical cookbook that features... Uh, oh, my God. Sorry, we're... 80 recipes that both you and your character can make. With one feat and investment go, in craft culinary, you can start making manticore chili and cream spinach at level one. Cooking is the magic which belongs to everyone. Uh, so yeah, they just, they just reached, reached yeah, funding. Their, goal, yeah. their base goal this afternoon, first stretch goal is character options, archetypes, feats, and magic items. And man, they're off and running, man. They're they're gonna be, I, they're gonna hit this. Well, it's funded, so. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're funded with 24 days Oh, what's days the ago. first stretch goal at? What's the Let's target? See, I will look it up, actually. Uh, character options at 2,000, and they're 1,600, they're about 1,700. They'll hit that tomorrow, I guarantee it, man. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Congrats to you, uh, Alex, and we will talk about it in depth next week. I'm sure. Uh, Frank Metzer, who I was talking about earlier, uh, will be kickstarting a fantasy setting this summer. Uh, I'm just quoting what I read off of uh, that Grognar guy. Tankar, Eric Tankar. This is on his website. It looks to be a box set with maps by Darlene. Think Greyhawk with the overwhelming wargaming background. More tall politics, but just as dangerous. And Frank has been playing with the setting since the early days of TSR. Oh, wow. Yeah. Frank is awesome. Uh, he's been around forever. And I'm sure it will be a major success, even with an association like Greyhawk. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then the Lost Surge RPG just launched today. And I actually provided some advice on this one because savannah you? was like hey uh yeah or uh i guess she's a, she's one of the editors on this or oh, the editor cool. and they asked they're like oh mike can you look at the kickstarter page and tell us what you think so i spent an hour and i was like oh god this is not a word it's <laughs> hyphenated dude you got to do these things do this thing do that thing and, and so but uh yeah they're off to a good start was this launched today or yesterday uh, or let me look I'm, I'm currently showing on the screen it is uh it was launched two days ago it's 28 days to go but yeah i'm showing off some of the art dude that was just that's what caught me they have some beautiful like almost water brush like uh color stuff it's really watercolor stuff sorry that's the word i'm looking for yeah a lot um, of soft pastels going on that's yeah, very cool dude i love that and then i the, love uh, games that have a really oops, sorry <laughs> oh i was just saying I, I love games that have a very like distinct and unique art style and i think that watercolor thing is really working for them mm-hmm and the character sheet is neat too. It's like a trifold thing, so you're only mm -hmm. looking at the part of it you really need to look at, depending on what you're doing, right? So if you're in combat, you look at this thing. If you're doing skill stuff, you look at this one. Mm -hmm. um, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, it should be good. Savannah's working on it, so uh, you nice. know the editing will be top notch. Mm -hmm. And finally, we're going to talk about the Book of Exalted Darkness. Mike, tell and us about this. We have no idea what this is. Good Please. day. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone who's watched the show uh, knows already what the Book of Exalted Darkness is, but for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, it's a book for D&D 5e about a holy decopunk campaign setting where like goodness reigns supreme and technology has flourished to, to bring civilization up to about 1920s, 1930s level era technology. But all their tech is powered by this stuff called Anaqua. And Anaqua uh, radiates energy which elongates the lives of good creatures. So there's a justification for you playing evil bastard villains that are there to destroy the world. Uh, and in addition to that, like you get sin and sanctity attributes, so you can trick the Anaqua stuff into working for you, because your evils normally wouldn't. Or you can pervert it, so like you can take an Anaqua pistol, which can normally just like kind of hurt people and not knock them out. And you can overcharge it to kill people, and then after a minute, it explodes like a grenade. Uh, 
we're doing very very well. I think we're at forty two hundred or so. I haven't looked since the Kickstarter, since our our, our podcast started. But uh, yeah, we should be funding before the first or the last week starts, and we got ten days left. Fantastic. And uh, we just unlocked a backer goal. So if you are not interested in playing evil, but you like the idea of the campaign setting, uh, there will be a 120-page do-gooder book called The Book of Celestial Heroes that you can, um, you can pledge to instead. Uh, and that includes a lot of stuff. The latest project update has more information. But among the things are uh, the Holy Troth, which I'm extremely pleased about because I found out that troth is another word for vow. Oh, and cool. I love the way that sounds. So yeah, we're going to take the Vow and Poverty and stuff from Book of Exalted Darkness and fix them, basically, so they're not broken as all hell. <laughs> uh, there's a new class called Exemplars, which are just like, uh, you know, like uh, archetypal heroes. So like, if you wanted to be like King Arthur and have like a magic sword that's very distinctive, you'd be an enchanted warrior uh, exemplar. If you wanted to be like Odysseus or Hercules, you'd be an epic hero exemplar. And then there's a um, People's Champion version. So if you want to be like Robin Hood, and a monster slayer. So if you want to be like Simon Belmont from Castlevania. And cool. all of that, that class, the playtest for it goes up on World Builder blog. Uh, you know, James Intercase goes World Builder blog tomorrow. So check it out. But yeah, now I'm really excited. And then not everyone who watched this will know. Uh, we, I can, I'll tell you people, yeah, the, our first stretch goal is to make a Shadow of the Demon Lord conversion. So cool. I'm really, really excited to hit that because I know that a lot of the people who pledge to Shadow of the Demon Lord are going to be like, you're making a book where we destroy a holy utopia? Is that right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a crazy last week. I know that for sure. Uh, this is what, my sixth Kickstarter? And they've all been pretty pretty on, on the seat, exciting rides. But yeah, this is this is the, la the one where I expect like the big explosion to happen at the end. I'm pretty stoked. That nice. only happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get you, you typically get about 33% of your funding on the first two days and the last two days. And I'm trying to make it more like I get 50% of my funding in the last week. And I think that might be, I think, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see how the Demon the demon Lord's minions respond. But uh, I think it should be good. Or you could be like the Aetheric Kickstarter and give me a heart attack up until the very last minute. <laughs> that happened with uh, I still remember messaging. I was like, God, dude, I'm not a fucking bot. Pay attention to this message. Do yeah. these things. Yeah. I was happy to see you made it. It was good. That, that was, yeah, yeah. It, that was uh, a hell of a ride. Varanti was the same way. We didn't fun until the last hour, and it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> we, yeah, I remember, I remember messaging, like, do, do you need someone to, like, push it over, and then you pay me back, maybe? I, I don't know, man. Whatever you need. Um, it was crazy. It was crazy. He denied. He didn't do that for the, for the record. Um, no. <laughs> but, no, yeah, did that with, what was it? Dragon Tiger Ox was really close at the end, and then someone got a big push on it. That was good. That was like up to the last like three days, and then we got way overfunded because people were like, "Oh, it got funded." Yep. Once it gets funded, you're fine. Yeah, consumer consumer confidence uh, makes a huge difference in Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who's never familiar with any of my shit, I always overdeliver on my Kickstarters, like always, by a lot. And my last one, we not only overdelivered, but we did it like a, two months ahead of time, so I was really happy, and it came out. Mad gorgeous. It's called Twenty Nine and Wasteland. Go check it out. The first, I think the preview PDF for it has all the classes and races for uh, apocalyptic sci-fi DD. Mike, Mike, you've uh, you've never talked about that. Yeah, never once. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, now we're just talking whatever the hell Robert wants to talk about. Yeah, Mike, take it oh. away. Oh, Mike, um, Robert, take it away. 
I mentioned earlier how I got some art from um, some of our illustrators for uh, the Athera Intrigue Manual. I just posted them on the Athera Facebook page. Um, they're uh, propaganda posters uh, set in-universe, um, and they're two of the three that'll be um, folk functioning as like chapter introductions for the book, um, and they are just phenomenal. I have just been kind of like staring at them lovingly while we were talking. <laughs> you want to you um, post them up or post links so I can... Uh... Yeah. Let me grab that. Computers work so amazingly, but we will. When I was doing a book of Exalted Darkness, it occurred to me that WPA was during the Art Deco period. I got, I got them. So I went and I just like looked through all the federal public artworks, and I pulled like twenty things that I turned into perfect propaganda posters. Nice. By just like changing some text, it was like ah. Yeah, um, I kind of actually talked about a lot of what I wanted to talk about, peppered through everything. Um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of something interesting. I feel like there was something on the agenda that we didn't actually touch on. Is that there? I thought there was, but maybe I'm mistaken. I don't, I don't think we're talking about the thing. I don't know what you and Jason are up to, but I don't think we were supposed to talk about it. Oh, no, actually, I can talk a little bit about that since um, oh. he probably won't beat me with sticks. Um, at at PaizoCon, uh, Legendary... He uh, send other people to do that, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, he doesn't <laughs> beat people with sticks by himself. No, it He's is, got it other is, people to beat people it's with sticks. It'd be Rachel's kids. It'd be Rachel's twins. They'd just show They're up adorable. and be like, want to play a game? And then I'd just be a smear on the wall. Um, yeah, PaizoCon Legendary uh, previewed um, Conquest, which is going to be sort of an adventure path. It's kind of more in the style of um, the old Age of Worms, like Dragon and Magazine era, like longer adventure paths that are like smaller books. Um, and that's going to be like this huge dragon-centric adventure path because Paizo cool. hasn't really done anything with dragons before. And yeah. I mean, 3.5 kind of wore everyone out on them, but I think... Um, the, the time is kind of right for it and it's like Black Panther meets Skull Island is kind of our inspiration for like the the setting for it it's like what if Magic Wakanda had dragon problems and uh, <laughs> I'm super excited to be working on it I'm actually finalizing the outline with Jason um, this weekend next weekend something along those lines uh, we want to get our authors lined up um, by the end of the month so that we can start get the ball rolling on it uh, but it's it's going to be it's going to be really, really dialed up to 11, so if people want to do something that's just fighting every single goddamn dragon that there is, I think they're going to be really into it. Well, if you guys are going to do uh, any robo-dragons, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, th I might work a couple clockwork dragons in there somewhere. There's no, a perfect no, no, no. place. Robo-dragon. <laughs> robo-dragons are very specific. I made a robo-dragon. It's on the cover of one of my books. I have I had Claudio draw it for hundreds of dollars. I, I actually found Robo Dragon. I found I, I always go through. I, I have like take hours to go through like public domain stuff. Mm -hmm. Some dude and I will not share it because I want to. I want to use it first and I'll share it to everybody. <laughs> Put out in the public domain a robotic Triceratops with lasers on it. and It's all chrome and shit, and it's really <laughs> well done. And it's I know Mike. I'll give it to you once I publish something with it. I will give it to you once I, I publish something with it, man. He's he's googling it right now. He can Google it, man. I had to go through like a bunch of 
it's for you to to get it. I'll tell you, man. It is. <laughs> it's, it's it's like it's like Robo Scrux, if you know what that was. Oh, it looks <laughs> like it was drawn for a '90s cartoon. This blue thing. It's got all the blue highlights. I don't think so. No. Here, I'll, I'll pull hmm. up something for you. I've anyway, seen a keep, couple keep, different ones that come up with this. Keep, keep talking. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I don't have any robot dinosaurs. Oh, no. Yet. Robot dinosaurs are planned for the summer. No, I do. I have something planned for the summer. It's uh, it's related to Starfinder, actually, but uh, hmm. I have to, I'm not supposed to talk about it yet. So. <laughs> I have two things ready for Starfinder. I just got to wait. Yep. Get all my plate done with, and then I can fully, fully immerse myself. But yeah. Yeah, I just got a contract for something I can't talk about either, and I'm like, ah, when it comes out, man. I get to write some of the fun stuff. Here it is. That's kind of like the the when you get three freelancers in a room. It's like, what are you working on? Uh, redacted, redacted, and redacted. <laughs> Mike, can you look at the stream right now? That's what I'm talking about. Secret project, secret project, secret project. <laughs> uh, it says we're offline. I don't see anything on the screen for some what? reason. I don't think we're offline because we've been offline. there's people that've been hanging out in the chat window. That's same. Telling me we're offline. That's weird. Might have to refresh the page. Yeah, but, thanks uh, to everybody who came to hang out and chat. Yeah, yeah definitely. Did this. Oh, it's that one. No, like... I hadn't seen yeah, that. Yeah, so awesome. I will. Uh, so again, I got stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to use it for, but I'm going to use something. That's not a triceratops. Yeah, I mean, That's sorry, Stegosaurus. Stegosaurus. So again, yeah. I got stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to use it for, but I'm going to use something. <laughs> no, you're dinosaurs. Man. I do, but I didn't remember what it looked like yeah. when I when I had it. I guess it is a stegosaurus. Um, Misidentified a dinosaur. James Jacobs just broke out into a cold sweat somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anything else you want to touch on? No, I think that's pretty much it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, we, we really appreciated you coming on. That was that, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> we managed to get through everything. That was a hell of a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, yeah, it was. I thought we were going to get like bogged down in the middle of there, but no, we actually made it a pretty good time. Um, but yeah, get, give Mike's thing a look, guys. Give Kingmaker a look. Go support it. This is going to be awesome. And I'm sure once August rolls around, we're going to be shilling out for, uh, what do you call it? For um, Starfinder. So make sure you yeah. uh, stay. Come on, guys. I didn't get in. I didn't get into the pre-release for uh, development stuff. I really was, I was sad about that. <laughs> I want to briefly touch on how much fun I'm having being, being like conceited and facetious with the Book of Exalted Darkness. <laughs> I thought for sure that Jason was going to shoot me down because the name of the world is Askis. I mean, <laughs> A-S-K-I-S, but it's, you say it, and you got to say it fast. Otherwise, yeah, you laugh because, like, oh, we're going to go defend Askis. Like, there's, I, I think there's a, there's a great quote um, that I, I, about, about, like, the Mike Myler experience that I, I dropped at PaizoCon. And it's, if you're familiar with, with movies and stuff, um, like, Mike's stuff is, is the canon films of, like, production. It's, like, the Toxic Avenger and, like, all of these just, like, complete and utter bizarre things that somehow managed to work Someone together. Trauma! Yeah, Seriously, yeah. Seriously, bro. You're, that's, you're, I don't... Oh. Canon films. Canon films just whatever goes to the wall and it somehow all sticks. Like... <laughs> that's it. it does. I've gotten... At some point, we gotta get Ian on here. Ian's the guy who shoots down the no, you can't do that thing. When we did uh, Gonzo and Gonzo 2, he was like, hands off, you do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> so that's how we got like some of the crazy shit like Battle Chef or Battle Maid and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, once again, yeah. thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Coming along, Rob. Cool. 
We'll have you on again. I don't know. I think we're going to start cycling guests around 20. At some, at some, I don't yeah. know if we know that many people, honestly. <laughs> Let's say, I, I still got a few people in the chamber, man. We'll, we'll we get should them. get Sean on here, man. And then I can not be a total fanboy in front of him for more than that. <laughs> Sounds good. Really nice. Um, because I talked to Owen. He's He said he's down when he has time. Yeah, so, whenever that is. Yeah. yeah, it's like... He said, like, September, and I'm like, I don't know. 30 maybe. years from now is we're all... September 2027. From our robotic yeah, yeah. overlords. Owen's going to give us a call like, hey, you want to do the professional guy on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll find that old thing that some people used to call computers. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. So um, thanks for joining us. And this is uh, Professional Goblins signing off.